We acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend Sam Rosenbaum interview participants and providers about all things NDIS. Hey, Hannah. How are you going? Good. That's good. I'm so excited to get into this topic. Yes, it is a big topic, a confusing topic, and a sometimes very complex topic, but let's tell the people what our topic is. We are talking about the differences between how your plan is managed or how it is billed, essentially. The funding model. The funding model. Yeah. Yeah. So, we have, there's three types. Yeah. So, (laughs) the first type is NDIA managed, then there's plan managed, and self-managed. Yeah. So, Sam, do you want to start off by talking a little bit about what it means to be NDIA managed? Yeah. So, NDIA managed, or agency managed as it's commonly referred to, is where... All your funding is managed by the agency and you can only use registered NDIS providers to provide those services. So the way that plays out is once you've got your your plan, you can then you've you've got your select providers that you can choose from. You don't have the wider choice and control. Um, there are pros and cons with it. The, the biggest pro is you don't have to worry about a, seeing a single invoice or understanding how things are being charged. It's designed for more high-risk participants that don't necessarily have the um, functionality or the informal or formal supports to be able to understand how this all works. On the same time, we have this whole proviso that reg- registered providers doesn't necessarily equate to quality either. Absolutely. Which then leads us into plan management. Right. Which gives you more flexibility in who you can use. Yes. Um, though it's both with agency and plan managed um plans, you still have to have those supports provided within the price pricing arrangements and pricing limits. So that means that your providers that you're using for core supports, capacity building, or some of the capital items, they have to follow the requirements of the price people or the pricing arrangements and pricing limits. Um, you don't have to have registered providers. 
You can have unregistered or registered. You can choose where they are, how they fit. You can split them between multiple agencies. So you could have uh, two providers providing core supports in, in different manners. And that's up to yourself as an individual to decide how you want that to play out and who you want your supports to come. You can use in the independent support model. You can engage directly with independents or you can use some of the marketplace providers such as Mabel, HireUp, Kind. Um, they're some of the big ones on the market. Um, and then lastly, we have self-managed. Yes. And self-managed is probably the one that is more complex, but it's often really good if you are a bit technical, you know, savvy with with a computer. Yeah. Um, not that it takes a whole lot because it's the – so I self-manage my children's plans. Um, the original reason why I did this was really the only people I've seen that charge above the price limit – is a psychologist and we'd had a psychologist who we'd, we'd used for a little bit and they did it above the pricing limit and so I wanted to be self-managed so that we could continue to see them. Yeah. Um, and um, now now we don't do that but that's okay. Um, but it's actually like relatively easy in the sense that what happens is the provider sends me an invoice I hop on to MyGov where the NDIS is linked and then I go into whichever child's plan um, the invoice is for and then it's they've got tiles there so it's so it's pretty relatively easy to sort of understand um, and you pop in there all the information that's on the invoice and then the money goes into my bank account and then I pay the provider from there. Um, now, so it does require a bit of manual work still it's a to lot of process. Manual work. So um, it, it is, it is probably not for everyone. Definitely no. more if you're there. Like I have managed. So my mum had aged care funding, and I ended up self managing, or sort of a mix of self and plan managing the the funding model with it. But that at that point in time I definitely had capacity and the time and the knowledge base to do that. Um but compared to now I definitely am not don't have that same ability with time. Uh so each of the models have a pros and cons. Yeah. And so one of the cons I find with it is um is a time thing but also a bit of a slash ADHD thing where I go, oh, yes, I must do that, and then I forget two seconds later and then it's been like a week and the provider is like, yo, where's my money? And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, provide. thankfully all the providers we've used have been super understanding that, I sometimes suck at putting the invoices in um, and it's not about me keeping the money. It's just I forget to even like log on and put, put them in. Um, and then I've got the problem of, 
oh shit, I've got a backup of invoices to put in and then it's a huge job. Yeah, because you've got to claim that, claim that, wait for the money to come into your bank account and then work out which of those bills you actually put through in the first place to pay that money out. Yep. <laughs> so that that's where a plan manager comes in, in quite yep. handy. You still get... you. You, you lose the ability to pay more than the pricing arrangements. Yeah. But you trade that for not manually lodging the claims and, and record keeping and that negotiation uh, away from yourself, essentially. So plan managers run, have a couple of requirements that they have to maintain, including uh, understanding how you want your funding to be paid, how what services you're wanting to get. Uh, so then they can help support and, and and they play a big big function in budgeting. Well, they should. Yes, but they should. Sometimes they don't, and I've definitely seen plan managers um, fall at that point. Yeah, and it, it's it, it comes down to the initial engagement conversations. Yeah, and some do that really really well. And some do that horribly poorly. Right. Or not at all and still charge the money for it. Absolutely. Um, which I think is very terrible and um, it's an oversight from plan managers if they're not looking very heavily at when they're engaging with a participant, understanding that participant's needs, understanding that participant's situation, and understanding the flowing or re- support requirements and whether or not that can be funded within the plan in the first place. So I see a lot of plan managers that sort of have these conversations or have a small conversation and then charge the initial fee for it, but later down the track haven't quite understood mm-hmm or helped the participant and their supports understand mm. what's the reality of the plan mm. and how that money plays out over the one-year, two-year, three-year sort of plan. Because especially when you start looking at three-year plans, it's budgeting becomes more and more important. Absolutely. Because if you're spending more than 33.33 recurring percent of your funding in a year that's not going to support the three-year plan. Right. You're going to be going to overspend. At the same time, underutilization becomes a problem as well, um, meaning that you're not utilising the funding that you've got available to its effectiveness. So it's a big conversation that goes on within the plan management world on underutilization and utilisation. Yeah, yeah. So how... Does someone know how their plan is managed? Well, that's a good question. Idealistically, this should be part of the planning conversation that the the planner or the LAC have with you and your supports when you're asking for access. This should definitely be one of the first and foremost conversations that happened because where the agency makes that decision, you can put, put input, onto how you would like this to happen, but ultimately it is the delegate's decision. And when I say delegate, that's the agency delegate. So it's usually your planner. 
sometimes it goes into a whole rigmarole of complex decision-making and delegation of authority that I'm not going to go into today because I, I, I won't do that to you all at home. Um, but they risk assess it essentially. So what is the risk of m you having your funding self-managed versus plan-managed versus agency-managed? If there's a high risk of um, vulnerability or levels of vulnerability, that's more likely that there will be portions or the whole of your plan will be agency managed. Now, where I say portions, the agency does have the ability to split the payments or, or the core funding into either agency, plan or self. Yes. And so sometimes what you'll see is something like, just for, for example's sake, $10,000 is agency managed because they specifically want you to do blah stated thing. And then the next $10,000 is plan managed because of reasons. And then the next $10,000 could be self-managed because of another different set of reasons, yeah. right? Um, so typically you might self-manage the consumables part of the core, and then the plan managed part could be for the support workers and stuff like that. So that's that's why it can even be within the same budget bit. Bucket. And then there are some things that so, – so where you find that is if you have a look at the box that says core, at the bottom of that box it says um, – Plan managed, self-managed, NDIA managed. So that's where you find it on your plan if if you're confused. And it also helps you to identify which bucket of funding or which category within your plan is, is what. Because, for example, the, the plan managers to pay them will always be NDIA managed because plan managers have to be NDIS registered. Um, similarly, generally, um, when we look at improved relationships, which is about positive behaviour um, and, and looking at how do we um, get a positive behaviour support plan for someone, that is very typically NDIA managed as well. Yeah. Um, but beyond sort of those, you can, you can choose what you do with the rest of the categories. Um, and I think that that's really important because of the difference between what it means to be an NDIS registered provider and what it means to be non-registered. Yep. And that each company will make a decision about whether to spend what is a fairly big lot of money to become registered or not so very cheap because that's a very time and money intensive activity to become registered and it's as we're sort of discussing today the the key point like around self and plan managed, the big difference between agency managed is you don't have to use a registered provider. And that doesn't necessarily mean you lose quality of supports. It also doesn't mean you 
gain quality of support. It means you get options. Right. And we like options because the point of the NDIS was choice and control. It is choice and control. And but then when you are NDIA managed, some of that choice and control is removed. You still have choice and control, but only to the point where you've got to be like some There's not of, as many options. Yeah, there's not as many options because there's fewer and fewer people registering getting as providers regist- because yeah. it is a very intensive intensive activity uh, for anyone that goes to it. And I, I go through registrations. I think I do currently sitting at about seven a year and it is a lot of work. Like that's my specialty and it is a lot of work. Um, so there's, it's, there's the big running conversation. I think you and Alicia in episode six, I want to say six, 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 um, had some really good discussions around this, around whether or not what that registration looks like, what the requirement. And if I remember correctly, Alicia said, had a statement around that she wants to see more, more emphasis around registration. Uh, and you have a counter on that. It doesn't have make that quality, but what I think the letdown is, is the framework that auditors use to certify a NDIS registered company. Yeah. So it's based off um, what is called the International Standards Organization, and they've got frameworks for quality management systems or a QMS. And that's how the agency and the the Quality and Safeguards Commission came up with the framework. So what they do is as the, uh, whether you're, I won't go down to the registration <laughs> registration path and that, how that works, but it, it does have an impact that what in the agency just developed the framework for the auditing companies that go out to NDIS providers to go, yes, you should be registered or not. They base it off the quality management framework, but didn't have the same level of scrutiny that is actually what's in the quality management ISO requirements. So they built their framework around that, but left out quite a lot of key indicators that auditors had to use to gauge metrics around quality and then they put this quality and safeguards framework in, but didn't have that same rigor. rigor. So, for example, the big one that grinds my gears from auditing is there's not a requirement to look at other legislation and laws that impact that. Where in quality ISO, ISO quality management systems, there is a requirement to look at all legislation that impacts a prov- their the business being audited and they've got to have systems in place to support all of that where the NDIS quality and safeguards framework is very much the NDIS act into itself. So it misses out all the other legislation that goes into supporting or that impacts NDIS providers. And then you register, a lot of people go out, get registered and they just assume that they're complying with everything they need to. 
Yeah. But the NDIS is one element of everything that a provider has to do because there's state-based legislation, there's federal, and then there's bigger picture stuff. So the UN conventions and yes, the NDIS Act is based off it, but it doesn't have this, it doesn't bring it in in the same way. So I think if if we went on went through every order, company that's got NDIS registered and applied the principles of quality management systems to that company, I think you would see a big a big number that don't necessarily meet that standard versus the registration standard. And that's definitely on those businesses to really think and go, okay, well, there's this, but there are other elements. Like I've I've spoken previously on this podcast about the state-based process with worker screening and working with children checks and the state requirements and the difference of the NDIS Act and registered versus non-registered providers don't align in any way, shape or form. And also there's things like work cover and, you know. Um, So... Also, from what I understand, there's things like providers could just buy their policies and procedures and basically not really look at them. And the auditor comes in and goes, oh, yep, you've got everything you need, tick, 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 and you're registered. And then you've got the added problem because that's all that it takes to be registered that people who actually we can't pay you through the NDIS, get registered. So I've heard of people like a psychic got registered and you can't actually that, <laughs> do that. that. that, that or, goes, I've had, like the auditing companies, that they yeah. should be going, hang on, does the service you're providing actually meet what is part of the registration framework? Right. It, it, it's, it's a failing of the framework. Right, exactly. And, and or like I've had a provider that is like, um, you know, brilliant remedial massage place and that's not their real name. That was made up, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and they get registered and then they go, oh, except it specifically states in the pricing arrangements and price limits, the PAPL um, document that we cannot use the NDIS funding on massage. Yeah. And so it it drives me bananas because then a participant comes to me and says, oh, but they're a registered provider. Surely I can use them. And I'm like, that's meaningless, unfortunately. Because yeah. re- re- registered providers, like you, you could be a registered provider for core supports, but that does not mean you can be registered for behavioural therapy or implementing behavioural ther- behavioral support plans. It doesn't mean that you just because you've got registration for specialist support coordination that you can then diverge into providing um, psychosocial therapies for counselling. That's not what registered means. It means you're registered for a specific group of services that then you can bill directly to the agency and that's kind of it. Yeah. So 
So this is why, like, I'm very wary of people who say, oh, we just need more people registered. But like you say, no, no, we actually just need to change the way we register people or, or change what auditors are looking at and and that would improve the, that process. Mm. Because right now when you look at, you know, registered versus non-registered, people see NDIA registered provider equals quality or and equals qualifications yeah. and, you know, equals safe and that they won't do fraud because they they've get audited. been registered. Yeah. And, and that's just mm, or, or that what they provide, they're allowed to, yeah. you know, and that just isn't true. And so I get very concerned sometimes when, um, when people talk about it. And I've had to spend a lot of time with participants trying to explain to them exactly what, you know, it means to be a registered provider or what it means to be NDIA managed versus plan managed and and why why that, you know, the pros and cons of those for that particular person in that particular scenario because absolutely there are scenarios where people need to be NDIA managed and have only NDIA registered providers. There are reasons for that. But again, it doesn't necessarily mean quality and qualifications. No, because there's when you look at therapies, other professional services, this is possibly one of the most contentious topics when it comes to paying providers on, on, the, on other professional services and therapies. Right. Because it goes into a whole, it, it's not very clear mm. is the bigger problem yes. because in the pricing arrangements, it goes, you kind of need to have a bachelor or equivalent within the area of service. But just because you've got a bachelor in one area does not mean that you can then go provide services under, under other professionals for something that you're not qualified for. And then you also need to account for registration. So some professionals have to have professional registration with their relevant bodies. Nursing have to have APRA. Yeah. I hope I'm saying that right because I get it wrong all the time. Um, psych uh, psychologists and uh, social workers need to be registered with their professional bodies. Chiropractors need to have their registration as well. Yeah. But the, where you... The problem comes is where those bodies look at that. They go, I have this qualification, so I could actually do more within this space. And that's where the big risks to these, to participants, to NDIS participants comes into play because it's not as simple as it seems sometimes. And just because someone go a provide or a, provider of some sort of supports goes, yes, you can put this on your NDIS plan, doesn't necessarily mean that is true. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So to sum, let's sum it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and go back to the three styles of um, paying the bills. Um, they are NDIA managed, plan managed and self-managed. So NDIA managed is the only one where you absolutely have to use registered providers. The other ones you don't and that's sort of their main advantage. Now, to also just really quickly say that um, while all plan managers essentially do the same job, every single plan manager does it completely differently. Has different skill sets and knowledge base around it. Right. And so it's always worth having a look at how does this plan manager do it compared to this other one? And and just because one plan manager says that they can pay for something in a particular manner does not mean that is the correct way either. Right. Because there are some plan managers that like to say yes and only yes, and that is not always the right answer as much as we would like to hear it individually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, the other thing, the other differences between plan managers are things like, you know, do you need a plan manager that is really technical and has like a flashy app that you can have on your phone and you can see how much is in your plan at any given time? And then versus do you want someone that just um, is there and you can get through and call them whenever you want to yeah. be able to have a chat to them. Personalised service versus like group of staff that you have to single point of contact versus you just want to have someone to contact. Yeah. It, it, there's lots of things and you need to take your own needs into consideration when you're choosing a plan manager. Absolutely. Um, and make sure that if you... When you're in your planning meeting or review meeting and you're discussing how your plan is going to be managed, please, please, please talk to the LAC or the planner and get them to really thoroughly explain it to you and what category is going to be under what type of management and make sure that it works for you and it's not the LAC or the planner. Yeah. Because you, you've had some real experience where the planner has failed yes. to explain this and has some, had some really big impacts, long-term impacts on the participant and their supports yeah. um, and not understanding the decisions they're making and then essentially having to pay, paying for some of, the, some of the stuff out of their own, their own pocket that they could have put the, through the, the plan and this is purely because planner didn't provide thorough understanding around these decisions. So yeah, short, short form summary, self-managed, you can choose who you want, pay how you want. No real barrier there. Plan manager is you get to still choose who you want, whether it be registered or unregistered, but you have to be within the pricing arrangements and pricing limits. And agency managed is you have to go with registered and they've got to pay within the pricing limits as well. So they're the big, the big things. It, it, it is flexible. 
in how you choose it. It's just up to you and your support in informal support circles as to what you need from your NDIS plan. But I think this has been a really good conversation and I hope that people at home didn't get more confused by it. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) And we will, um, in coming um, weeks and episodes, we will be talking to a plan manager and a few different plan managers to talk about, you know, how that specifically works. Yeah. So awesome to talk to you about that. As always, Hannah. Thanks. And thanks for everyone at home for listening. Um, and we had a, a pretty big milestone recently with our numbers. We're over 400, 400 We're listeners. We're 500. Oh, 500. Yeah. Who knows by yeah. the time this episode's actually come off, we yeah. might have a bit like gone above that. But thank you very much for everyone for listening. We're, we're loving doing this podcast. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, loving it so And loving much. the support. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's really thank good. <laughs> thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. You can email us at whatinthendispod at gmail.com. To contact me, it's hannah at tulipcoordination.com.au and to contact sam it's sam at rosenbaum.consulting until next time as the green brothers say don't forget to be awesome